0: Thanks so much for tuning in to GradCast, the official podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students. I'm Monica Molinaro.
1: I'm Gavin Talamedi.
0: I'm Vicky Telios, And tonight we are bringing you our first episode of our Grad Life segment, which is really exciting. Um, The purpose of grad life, essentially, is to just talk about topics that relate to any and all graduate students and
2: things that are applicable to any grad student in any way, shape, or form, essentially, right? Yeah, and honestly, it's a bit of a deviation of what we usually do. So in general, we usually have a guest come on and from different departments, and we talk about, you know, what their research is and how they go about doing their research. But I feel like with that, we also need to get into how their research is being done, like what kind of mentality are they in while they're doing their research. So I feel like this is a good way to get into these topics that aren't necessarily talked about amongst graduate students.
0: Right. One hundred percent. And just relatable to everyone. Mm -hmm. Like there's one thing if you're doing a certain type of research that might relate to certain people, but it's another thing if you're all going through the same things or experiencing Mm -hmm. the same things in your position
2: as a graduate student. Oh right? yeah, this is like a communal feeling, <laughs> and especially the topic that we're talking about today, imposter syndrome. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. JK. I oh know, no, no, no. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> I know, shouldn't be uh, yeah, cheering the that The reaction out. is definitely, oh dear, man. <laughs> so that was the overwhelming response that we got on social media. Everyone wanted to talk about imposter syndrome, and I feel like it's because we don't talk about it enough. Mm-hmm. And that's why I guess we're doing this today. We have to talk about it. Um, do you guys I guess we gotta start off do you guys feel like you have imposter syndrome? Yes
1: <laughs> I've definitely experienced it multiple times
2: and I'll also say yes so this is a unanimous yes yes okay
0: I think Good it's I think for me anyways I feel like it's ever present like it right. doesn't just go away it ebbs and it flows but it's for just sure. it's always there yeah it I, definitely
1: yeah. feels like a roller coaster yes right mm-hmm. it always a slow build up that you know it's just getting worse yes. until it only drops when you finally realize that you're having the problem <laughs> and then you have the chance to. resolve it in whatever way that you can
2: Mm -hmm. man i i feel the same way and the thing is do you know when it started because i feel like at this point when i'm looking back i'm like this is something that has happened for the entirety of grad school but was it there before do you do you know if it started before grad school
0: yeah 100 percent um i guess maybe to start should we Quickly give a definition of imposter syndrome for maybe anyone who is lucky enough to not have felt it
2: yet. For sure. For sure. (laughs) So here is the real definition, not my words from Google Wikipedia. A very (laughs) reliable source. Of course. Yeah. Um, So imposter syndrome is the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own effort or skill. So that essentially means you feel like a fraud. Mm -hmm. And honestly, yeah. I agree with this. Yeah, 100%. I don't
0: think there's (laughs) there's anything inaccurate about that. Oh, definitely
2: (laughs) not. So you said you felt it before grad school. Oh, yeah. I remember feeling it
0: in undergrad, at Mm -hmm. least for me. I felt I was in the sciences and I remember it's not that everyone around me was necessarily competitive. Like there Mm -hmm. were definitely competitive people in the program. But I just remember there's something about the culture of it where I just always felt like I wasn't doing enough or working hard enough or i remember never telling anyone what my grades were because i was too embarrassed about my grades because i knew that some of my friends like you know Mm -hmm. when after writing a midterm or an exam they'd be like oh well what did you get for this or or when marks came out everyone started like messaging each other that kind of stuff scared the crap out of me because for sure
2: because someone is obviously going to do better than you always right and if it's within your circle it can breed animosity almost
1: yeah especially when someone goes like this oh you know that question oh yeah it was that answer i mean who could not figure that it's out so
2: nonchalant yeah. like yeah of course it was that you didn't get that you had a hard time I got an answer that yeah. wasn't on the sheet <laughs> like, <laughs> always, all the time. <laughs> um,
0: I think there was that and then the right. need to I think depending on what program you're in like in terms of extracurriculars and right. needing to yeah. be involved in everything like I just never felt like I was doing mm-hmm. enough period right. and I think yeah. at the time I didn't realize that it was imposter syndrome by mm-hmm. any means I just thought you know maybe you everyone was enough. feeling this way or just I myself exactly. just yeah. wasn't good enough in one way or another. And yeah. you know, now that I've spent a million more years in school <laughs> I realize
2: that it is imposter syndrome indeed. Of course. No, I honestly felt the same way. So I remember there's a distinct moment. I was in fourth year and so I had started my undergrad thesis, I guess Research is the common theme here that's breeding imposter syndrome. But I started doing my research and I was working so hard, and I could see everybody else around me, you know, getting into professional schools and bragging about their accomplishments and moving on to their next chapter. And at the same time, I was working so hard, and I, for myself, I couldn't see the benefits. And from that, I was like, okay, I'm working so hard, but everyone else is doing so much better than me. And why, like, what's wrong with me? Like, are they going to find out, like, I don't belong here? Like, why am I at university to begin with if I'm not? having the same achievements as everybody else. And it started from there slowly and it sort of stemmed into grad school, which is the same environment as like the research undergrad project that I had too. So after that, it I guess it just built up, got worse. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> here we are, commiserating. Uh, yeah. How about you, Gavin? Yeah. Uh,
1: well, I mean, for me, it was also undergrad and being like you guys were being in the sciences at that point, right. uh, it's definitely, there is definitely some uh, competitive between each other but Mm -hmm. you expect it more in a friendly way not like I'm going to beat you and everything
2: that's the thing yeah like when when, where's the point in that friendship where it becomes friendly to I need to beat you because I feel like that's a fine line there's one thing to you know share common things between two types of people like two friends in the same program but then after that it's sort of like a, a silent competition right and it's it's all internalized and you don't really talk about it to other people so Feel like that's something well I guess yeah. for
0: me at the end of the day like you know after spending so many years reflecting about how <laughs> crappy I felt of course um, <laughs> would you even consider that a friendship
2: right <laughs>
1: at, <laughs> like- at that point it is a I want to think almost like a frenemy
2: I was thinking the exact same word <laughs> like, Fren- right? frenemy, Fren- ship? Yeah. Yeah. frenemy ship
1: frenemy yeah. ship I don't even know if that's a word but I'm making it a word now hashtag frenemy ship yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're
1: gonna get this trending um, so oh, it's yeah. like you know that you're friends but at the same time you're enemies in the way that you want right. to like, get that mark not like the satisfaction of I'm going to beat you and it's gonna feel amazing that yeah. I want to get that high mark because yeah. I'm working my butt off to do it at right. the same,
2: you don't think the other person is as deserving as you are because at the same time I feel like imposter syndrome comes down to a point of perception so how you perceive yourself versus how you perceive everyone else around you so if you have that skewed perception you think other people are doing such a better job than you and you know you feel like you're working so hard but you can't measure up to what everyone else seems to be doing Mm -hmm. so you have that dissonance right and it's you you can't you can't remedy that so you feel like a fraud. Right. And I feel like that's essentially what it comes down to.
0: So with that then, do you find that people often trigger like your imposter
2: syndrome? Like, is it people? So this, yeah, this is what I was going to say. I was going to bring up social media. Do you think that plays a role? Because...
0: I don't find myself feeling so crappy on social media when it comes to imposter syndrome, to be honest.
2: Right. At least myself.
0: Anyways, I know I have friends who Mm -hmm. work in programs where social media is an aspect of the Mm -hmm. program. Like social media is used a lot more and is used more as a tool for whether it's looking at other people's work or Mm -hmm. sharing different announcements or things like that. And so I know for at least some of my friends, social media for them is very big because okay. you're constantly being told to look at these things and what your peers are doing. So mm-hmm. you're constantly being exposed to how great they're doing right. or what things they're accomplishing. Mm-hmm. And so you sit there and you feel like a bag of garbage because <laughs> you're constantly like bombarded with these images of all these yeah. great things that your friends are doing yeah. in one way or another.
1: Actually, for me, the, this, that experience has actually happened to me this year. Okay. Actually, okay. and um, it's only happened because... Um, since, at least for me and i and i can't, I can't speak for everyone but right. when you have moments in in academia especially that mm-hmm. there are years or even semesters that not much is really going on for sure that for sure you could be <laughs> right i could be <laughs> yeah. spending three months writing and yeah. i haven't gone close to publishing anything i haven't gone to any conferences There's like no or output. Yeah. yeah it's like outputs very very low at this yeah. point
2: but workload is very very high yeah so i yeah i feel the same way because I don't know. Imposter syndrome has been around for a long time. So I was trying to read up on some papers because I'm like, you know what? This seems like a like a topic that everyone can relate to. So someone must have researched it. Right. So I did my Google Scholar search. Honestly, there wasn't much. There was one paper maybe in 1970 that quoted, you know, females in the workforce uh, are the ones who experience imposter syndrome because they actually don't belong and it's like those sexists. Oh, so. really? <laughs> that's ex- yeah. So that was the beginning. So and then there was some research after saying, you know, females and males can both experience feelings of fraudulence because you know, that's the the sort of society that we live in right now. Everyone is trying to one up each other. And do you th- like the way I'm thinking about it, do you think social media would play a role because Everyone is trying to be perfect on social media. And I know hashtag Twitter science, scientists of Twitter, I don't know, but um, or academic Twitter, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone is like publishing like, oh, I got accepted for an oral presentation at this conference. And, oh, look at me. I'm here, like sharing my research with everyone because, you know, my research is important. And you see all of that. And I know for me, at least I see that. And I'm like, well, you know, I haven't been to many conferences. (laughs) And it's that sort of situation where do you think that sort of exacerbates the situation? I think it definitely can if you're constantly
0: bombarded with that kind of information or seeing those things on a daily basis. I don't know. Maybe it's the type of research that I'm in, and maybe yeah. it's who I follow. That's the other thing, right? That's I guess true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's who, who, you, yeah. who I follow, what I'm exposed to on a daily basis. I just I don't yeah. see it as much on social media. Like yeah. I see the exact opposite. I see people commiserating all the time
2: Fair about yeah. their experiences on social media. That's and honestly, I feel like that's the first step. You have to talk about it like that so that you can you can feel better about yourself. Exactly.
1: Too. Right? I think it really, um, especially social media, it really flares up when you start to compare yourself more yes to all of them yeah. and then you completely disregard what you've done right at that point because are you thinking yeah. oh I want as you said mm-hmm. I've won the scholarship I've just published this paper and yeah. you're thinking what is wrong with me why haven't yeah. I got to this point like I'm at the same especially if it's someone who's maybe at the same yeah. stage as you right. and you're thinking mm-hmm. is there something I'm doing wrong and For like sure. is this is there a trick that they have that Mm -hmm. i'm not getting am i just like a terrible writer can i not do research properly and then then your mind takes you to your mind can take you to some really dark places oh yeah Yeah. and then you start
2: yeah you start doubting yourself Mm -hmm. and then like from there you just sort of feel like garbage yeah Yeah, it snowballs for sure i would
0: say i get that way more so like I got it a lot more when I was in coursework at the beginning of my PhD because you're in these classes full of these people that are Mm -hmm. so so smart like I still remember the first class I took on the first day of my PhD I went in I'm not gonna lie I was a little bit cocky because it was a methods (laughs) course and I was like well I I already know a bit about these methods and then I walked in and was like I'm an idiot like I don't know why I felt that way (laughs) like like, classic everything that has been done in grad school exactly classic everything and then I remember like it was a very philosophical kind of conversation that we ended up happening right. and it all went right over my head. Like right. I went home and cried because I was like, someone's going to figure out that I'm an idiot yeah. very quickly. It's if like everyone I so smart.
2: Yeah. And no one's going to realize like they're going to say, how did I slip through the cracks and get here? And no one has noticed yet. And that's a feeling all the time. And like you said before, it's the output situation because you're putting in so much work and, you know, like I'm in a lab setting, I'm doing lab work like every day in the beginning now it's like more writing but if you keep doing lab work and you keep like doing these experiments and there's no publication to show for it people are going to start questioning what you're doing and it's not just your it's can sometimes be your peers but it can also be people above you it can be you know um different academic sort of people that have more weight than your peers and that bogs down on you even more and so it's it's just an endless cycle okay, <laughs> at the so end of the day.
0: when it comes to the pressure that you guys feel then, like, mm-hmm. where do you feel it most from? Like, is it from colleagues or, like, lab mates? Is it from your PIs or supervisors? Like... Whereas, like, I know for me, it happens a lot, like, in conversation with right. some people when I hear, and I'm like, oh, what's new? Like, as mm-hmm. an example. And then all of a sudden, I hear, like, oh, they've published like four papers yeah. and they won this scholarship. Yeah. And then and they it's went like to your like, CV. This yeah. person
2: tells you their entire CV. Yeah. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, I just wanted to, like, are you good? Are you not good? Yeah. Literally, I'm <laughs> like,
0: I rolled out of bed this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I wrote I,
1: that on my CV. I really hate it when someone decides to it's not even sharing at points, yeah. it's almost like they're bragging yeah, about their yeah. encounters. Like, oh yes, I just published in Nature just last <gasps> week. <gasps> and oh, like, and I'm great. also going on this trip. And when it's mm-hmm. like, that's, in your you, I mean, I'm happy for you, you. Yeah, but it's like I, I don't, you don't know. need to kick me down. Yeah, right exactly. Now. <laughs>
2: it's like I don't need to know like all of your accomplishments in the past like year or so since I've last seen you. Like I, I don't need that. Just tell me if you're doing well. Tell me about your other part of your life. Don't talk about your career. This is not what I asked you for. It's fine. Well,
0: what yeah. I'm wondering is, do you think that stems from they might have a sense of imposter syndrome because they're like, okay, <laughs> well you're asking me what's going on. I need to tell you all the things that I've accomplished so that you can be impressed with me. Right. So that you now know that I'm not a big idiot or whatever they're feeling so part of me is wondering like is it maybe for some people it's just being cocky or being like very confident in what they've done but maybe for some people it is like another function of imposter syndrome
1: I think it might be yeah Yeah. like they realize like how am I going to make myself appear that I belong here so maybe I'll just act like I know what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. and I'm going to just keep on again maybe not bragging but like reminding people about stuff that I did yeah. And just it, so then you could keep on. It's almost like you're telling yourself one, like, exactly oh, yeah, you yeah. know what? Maybe I do belong here.
2: Maybe you have to remind yourself. And at the same time, you could also be, you know, projecting what you want to the other person. So it's, yeah, it's a reminder for yourself and maybe they're intimidated by you. So that could be what's going on at the end of the day. So you might be annoyed, but at the same time, they're probably trying to just flex on you for their benefit
1: (laughs) and i think at that point the only the the only way for you to ever know is when you actually talk about exactly which is the most awkward part
2: oh for sure for
0: sure no 100 percent. i think it i think okay something that i struggled with when it came to imposter syndrome and it follows along the lines of this conversation is that I was trying to delineate the difference between being confident and being cocky. Mm -hmm. And so for a very long time, if I did accomplish something and whether that was like publishing a paper or doing an oral presentation at a conference or winning a scholarship or like whatever it may be, I told no one like that information was not going anywhere. Like I was not posting my publications on my LinkedIn. I was not like Mm -hmm. no one knew a thing because I felt like. And I don't know, it was this weird cycle where I was like, okay, well, you know what? I don't want to tell people because I don't want other people to feel bad and I don't want them to think that I'm bragging about my stuff because then they're going to think I'm a jerk and I'm not a jerk. Like, I'm just another garbage person (laughs) also working on their research and I happen to get something published or like whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So I found like I don't know if that's like another like layer of imposter syndrome. That's just like acting on top like is the cockiness like you know what i mean like is it like a coping mechanism like i don't even i don't know
2: well i guess there's there's different ways in which imposter syndrome can manifest and i actually i googled this too (laughs) i was just so interested in it because i couldn't find anything and so there was one thing that said this was pretty you know standard across all people who talk about imposter syndrome and there are five different subtypes of imposter syndrome. So you can't just have one, you can also have a subtype that describes you even more. So I'll, I'll tell you about them and then you can tell me your thoughts because they're, they're kind of interesting. Okay. So the first one is called the perfectionist. So this one, I guess, is exactly the way it sounds. You need to do everything perfectly. And if you don't have a perfect set of documents or something to hand to someone, then it's not done and you feel like trash. There is another one that's called the hero or the superhero. And so this is the type of person who is often referred to as the workaholic. So they're the type who will stay after five, who need to like do everything at one time. And this is just to to feel like they need to do so much in order to get things accomplished. There's another one called the natural genius and I feel like that is the perfectionist on crack. So <laughs> so what they are, they need to get everything done perfectly, but they need to get it done on the first try. If they don't get it done on the first try, then they feel like they failed because they can't naturally get the concept that they're trying to learn or trying to get done. And then there's another one called The Soloist. So this one is when you have independence to the point where you refuse assistance from other people to prove your worth. Like the control free kind of deal. Exactly. Exactly. You need to get everything done by yourself or else it wasn't done by you and it wasn't done correctly. So that's what that comes from.
1: I quite like that description.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And the last one is the expert. So this one judges their competence based on what or how much they know or can do. So they need to know everything about everything. And I know you're thinking in grad school, how can that even happen? And I feel like a lot of people can fall into this hole because you realize if you keep going through grad school, you know more and more about the things that you don't know. Right. So I feel like anyone who is using the expert as a coping strategy is just being bogged down because they know that they will never know everything in their field. And it's just so, I guess, overwhelming. Right. Right.
0: Which subtype do you guys think you fit into? (laughs) If you had to... Can mm-hmm. you pick one? I feel like I've dipped my toes. I, in I honestly think in I've way. expressed a few of these, if not all. I think yeah. I'm mm-hmm. the... If I had to pick, I think I would be, well, a bit of the perfectionist because I'm yeah. type A, 100%. Right. But the... um, Is it the superhero? The workaholic? Yeah, the hero. Yeah. That one. Okay. 100%. Yeah. How about
2: you, Gavin?
1: I was definitely... In my undergrad, I was a mix between the hero <laughs> and the soloist. Okay. Mm. And then slowly going into grad school, I started to dip my toe into perfectionist. Mm. Okay. And that's yeah. when it started to derail.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dangerous combination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. For me, I feel the same way. I feel like it, it changed as I progressed as a person. So I don't know. At first, when I started my, my grad school, I felt like I needed to be the hero. I needed to be the first one in, the last person out because I did the most work. And then... Now that I'm thinking about it, honestly, I've shown all of these at some point, Um, I would say more so the soloist. I feel like if I need to ask anybody for help, that's like I've discredited myself. Yeah. So that's I that's a garbage thing. I know. (laughs) But um, that that happens sometimes and it just feels like garbage when you can't get something on the first try and you need to uh, need to sort of ask other people for help. And it sort of hurts you inside i think it's
0: hard because i think we perceive asking for help as a weakness exactly
2: exactly yeah
0: and that's why it's kind of like i think we need to and it's hard obviously Mm -hmm. but to change that mindset where it's like asking for help is what's going to get you to the outcome that you want at the end of the day when it comes to whatever it is being successful getting that experiment done getting the experiment done properly like right i know (laughs) so i don't know it's hard like
1: It, it also depends on like what each individual has been probably what they've been brought up on Mm -hmm. because if they were maybe taught can't say from where and i'm not speaking for other people but as an example maybe they were taught by parents saying like if it's not done a certain way there's no point you giving to it if you are haven't finished anything by the end of the day it means you did not work enough to get everything done so you can't leave yeah so and then you that mindset sticks with you Mm -hmm. and then it probably elevates when you get to school and you think okay i'm done for the day And you see maybe a few of your colleagues just powering through whatever assignment or research you're doing you're thinking Mm -hmm. how are they still going right especially if they came at the same time as you that's when it gets devastating
0: (laughs) (laughs) right well i think there's like the element of productivity is often something that like really bogs a lot of us down oh yeah like i know for me even if it's on a day where i really really need a break and i'm really really burnt out i'm still like okay you know what like i have a huge to-do list i need to cross off at least three things on this to-do list yeah and like, for me, I feel I feel guilty if yeah. I don't do anything that's mm-hmm. my work related or whatever projects I'm on or whatever it is. Like, oh, my God, like thinking about it right now, like my body's <laughs> actually tensing up. Like, thinking it's a physical about, reaction. Like, yeah, taking for sure. a
2: break. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Um, now that we've established, I guess, what imposter syndrome is in general, how we feel about it. We feel not good about it. Um, How can we combat this? And I know we took to social media to answer that question. Um, Here are a few of the answers. Um, One that I really like is make a list of your achievements. So instead of doing what that other person would do and talk about their CV to another person, write them down yourself and sort of look at them and be like, okay, I've accomplished this so far and it's actually, it's good. It's good. You know, I've progressed X amount during my time here and I'm going to keep progressing. And it's sort of a reminder that you've actually done things and that your output is actually not zero Mm -hmm. right
0: have either of you tried that before would you do that Um, i mean
1: (laughs) i'm willing to give it a try but i've never done it before so
2: i'd say the most that i've done is maybe popped up my cv and like oh. sort of just like scroll through it to be like, what have I done? I've never written it down. I guess that is the sort of write down. But okay, I guess like I don't know if I see other people or I guess now is like conference season for us. During conference season, I'm, when I'm like inputting the things that I'm doing, I like sort of look back and I see the all the other things that I've done. I'm like, okay, like there there's progress here. Right, like that there's helps. some progress. Yeah. One weird little thing
0: that I do, I don't know, maybe this is weird. Mm-hmm. Someone can tell me later. Um, <laughs> I've Google Scholared myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if you publish something i'm not just, at that point yet <laughs>
2: okay, okay i'm yeah, not gonna yeah. lie i've done when, that right yeah. there okay so, so <laughs> i'm not the only one google. i definitely google myself like google in general to see like what pops up and it's kind of nice yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah i think it's just nice to be able like once you publish a paper like right. all you need is one you can google scholar yourself and it's the <laughs> coolest feeling yeah. on the planet knowing that like there's now a repository, of exactly. work that you've done that right. is accessible in one way or another.
2: So it makes us feel good. OK, so this is a good one. So one little thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So what else do we have? We have advice from your supervisor. OK, so I can see that more so as like going to people that you trust to talk to you about, you know, things that are going on either within your project, within your progression and sort of have them calm you down, Yeah, I
0: guess. Yeah. I think about that. Yeah. I've gone to my supervisor before. Mm. Um, <laughs> I remember <laughs> before one meeting, she was like, How are you feeling? And I was like, yeah. well, I'm honest, like, I'm exhausted. And right. she was like, Yeah, that makes sense. And then I was like, Does it ever go away? Yeah. And I just asked her, and she yeah. was like, No. Huh. <laughs> and I was like,
2: Oh, <laughs> well, enlightening.
0: Um, she's yeah. like, You could like take a vacation every once in a while to give yourself a break. Like, because right. for her, the biggest thing is like taking breaks when you mm-hmm. need breaks. And I know that for me is like what I struggle with quite a bit right. is because I'm always feeling guilty about stuff. So she was just like, you need to take a break every once in a while. And that'll just give you like that nice little kick in the butt that you might need Mm -hmm. to just keep going. But you need to be able to accept the fact that you can't do everything all the time and you need to relax every Mm -hmm. once in a while. And
2: that's that's comforting in that sense, right? Because then you know that you don't have to be that workaholic and just work 24 seven, you know that it's okay. Like someone who is superior to you is telling you it's all right to take a break every now and then and sort of just. Calm down for a second.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I had that uh, definitely a few times with my supervisor, and she always reminds me it's that, especially when it comes to when we were talking about output of research, she says, like, academia is not, don't think of it as a straight line. Mm -hmm. Nothing is going to be consistent. You're going to have ups where there's going to be a lot of output, a lot's going to be completed, but then you're going to have downs, like, not in a negative way, but there's going to be moments where. Not much is going to get done. You're in a slow stage, like you're writing, you're starting new, prelimin- getting new preliminary results. So mm-hmm. you can't publish something that you haven't really looked at yet. Exactly. So you've got to yeah. get through. Climb your way back <laughs> up again, and then you're gonna have probably huge output right. at some point.
2: I like these uh, words of wisdom right? metaphors. I <laughs> yeah, know, but you I think can that's, that's what we struggle
0: back back with. Again. Oh, sorry, oh, I didn't mean no, to cut you off. It's okay. <laughs> I think it's those that mountain climbing is like what we end up struggling with because we're not getting any output. Like we're not publishing, we're not going to conferences. We're sitting there and we're writing and like banging our heads against our desks mm-hmm. because we can't get these ideas out in one way or another. Like that drives me insane. Like my imposter <laughs> syndrome is at an all time high when I have
2: a writer's block.
1: Oh yeah. There was also one actually uh when i because i transferred from master's to phd right. never completed my master's degree yeah. there was like a month i think afterwards i actually approached my supervisor and directly asked her do you really think i have what it takes to be a phd yeah. wow yeah. and there was like a moment pause even dramatic <laughs> oh in a movie oh i thought that at first And then she leant forward, looked me dead in the eye and said, yeah, I mean, you do have what it takes.
0: That's so reassuring. (laughs) Did you get her to like sign a piece of paper, like write it out for you and sign it? No, I just had an uplifting
1: uplifting day from that point on. (laughs) (laughs) I took an early lunch. Oh, oh my gosh, (laughs) gosh, Gavin. It's a success.
0: success. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, do you find that positive feedback? Because like we're talking about really positive things right now, Mm. which is like really great. So does positive feedback from a supervisor kind of like get you back up. Yes. There. Mm-hmm. Does your supervisor Big drive yes. your imposter syndrome? Like have you or do you know people whose supervisors drive that? Yes.
1: I, I know a few people. I'm not going to give Yeah. No, give definitely not. That, no, no names, no but name drops. Yeah. We have um there I have heard stories that they told me that their supervisors are not as supportive as they they should be. Either they're just not around or right. they just have poor communication skills. It could oh, be that yeah. they're just not good with people. Right. Right. So, like there's a lot of clashing there.
2: That's the thing, though. I think in general, supervisors don't understand the importance of positive feedback that can do on a student because, you know, you're doing this work day in and day out. And if you don't get a, you know, like a thank you or, you know, you did well today or this piece of work here was done well, it's sort of discouraging because then you're doing all this work and you feel like no one acknowledges what you're doing, right? Or that you're doing a bad job, Exactly, period. exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember there was one time I got an email from a past supervisor. So I had been doing, I'd been working on grants and I had just submitted one by myself and I was so excited. And, you know, there are other people around me. I was working with a secretary. She seemed unfazed. <laughs> they, like everyone around was sort of unfazed about this, like, milestone that I had reached. But then after, I think it was a day or two, I got an email from uh, the supervisor that I was working with. And it was just, you know, you did a fantastic job, all in caps, like, you know, everything was great. We're so lucky to have you like working on this team. And I almost shed a tear. I was to the point of crying. I was like, this is the best thing that I could have gotten that day. Like positive feedback makes a difference is what I'm going to say. That's the take home message from that, (laughs) Um, yeah positive feedback oh my gosh that's yeah. such a nice email nice. i would have printed it out and framed it's it it's something like honest. i saved it it's like pinned to the top like it, it's good it's nice to see the word fantastic all in caps like it's nice it's yeah. nice and i feel like just these little things can make your entire day like telling you yeah you're worth your phd or doing something like that so back to your question 100 percent positive feedback makes right. a difference
0: so then okay on the flip side yeah do you when you have these bouts of imposter syndrome, does mm-hmm. that imposter syndrome motivate you to get things done? Or do you find yourselves like in a slump, like mm-hmm. negative feedback or like your own personal negative feedback, like whatever narrative is going on in your head at the time? Mm-hmm.
1: It depends on the situation, okay. at least for me, it has. You know. I know when I got some negative feedback about a paper, I didn't. It was like a, three hours of being a slump until both my supervisors said like reasons why it shouldn't have been right yeah. that shouldn't have gotten those comments, mm-hmm. so then it for me, it kind of turned into a way of proving whoever those reviewers were wrong. <laughs> oh. It's probably not the yeah. healthiest way, but it's turning into spite <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um no i mean sometimes it yeah. does happen it's um I think especially if it's something you really care about and right. you've always had like not even necessarily if you were good at it, but you just have a real passion about and then you get maybe one a really big negative feedback Mm -hmm. that does put you in a slum.
2: So there's this thing that I heard once, this sort of saying where there's if one bad thing happens, it takes 10 positive reinforcements to sort of forget about that bad thing that previously occurred. So I feel like the amount of times that you see positive versus negative feedback, obviously the negative feedback is going to stick with you way more often than one positive feedback would because someone with imposter syndrome could see that and say, well, they feel bad for me or something like that. Right. So I feel like it's the consistency of the positive feedback mm. as, w- as well as the consistency of the negative feedback as well. And how many times you do hear this negative feedback versus the positive. So I feel like, yeah, it's sort of a balance in that sense.
0: Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. I feel mm-hmm. like there's so many Like negative feedback, I know
2: for me, or like not even negative feedback, but just a lack of positive Positive feedback feedback can be negative, too. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Because if you've done something and no one says no one expresses any sort of, you know, that was good or that was horrible, because sometimes, you know, any sort of constructive feedback would help if you told me, you know, you could have done this in a different way for next time. That's also sort of positive because, you know, there will be a next time, (laughs) A, and B, you can sort of figure you can fix yourself for the next time and you know do something better to a higher standard. So if you get that lack of feedback, you don't you don't really know where you're going. You don't know what sort of path you're progressing on. Are you just progressing towards a negative path and no one's correcting you or are you on this positive fe- like path and no one is telling you that you're on the positive path. Right. Or no one's acknowledging that you're on that path. So it gets a little tricky right. for sure. For it's sure. kind
0: of like when you're applying for scholarships, like mm-hmm. when you're applying for OGS. Yeah. Like you either <laughs> win
2: or you lose.
0: Yes. And you don't get any feedback. Of course. And it also yeah. depends on like try counsel. Like I know mm-hmm. like Shirk, for instance, won't provide you feedback on your yeah. application, whether you win or whether you don't. You don't get feedback. CHR mm-hmm. will provide you with feedback. Right? right? Like, yeah. just imagine getting like, yes, you got it or no, you didn't, and that's it. And you're yeah. like like scholarships for me are very big like for sure for sure
1: i think the only issue with that is that if especially if it's a national wide scholarships Mm -hmm. you're trying to imagine how many feedback emails they would need to send out yeah and that's probably i can understand i used to get annoyed by it thinking like well what did i do wrong Mm -hmm. but at the same time when i start to understand like yeah that would take days for them (laughs) to send it to each individual person and i don't think people get paid enough to do that that's (laughs) fair yeah
0: (laughs) That's fair. Well, do you guys feel that way with scholarships? Like, does that
2: how does how does scholarships in your imposter syndrome? I, is there a
0: relationship between the two?
2: So I feel like that, like the application process, I feel what you described with grants mostly. Mm. So I guess a grant is a type of scholarship where, you know, you put in like a full proposal, like a few pages long. Same as OGS, I guess. And, you know, and it's a few people applying like internal scholarships, too. And no one really tells you. And sometimes you don't even get a rejection. Just the deadline passes. And you're like oh they didn't even follow up it clearly i didn't get it because there's no money here um but yeah it's it's kind of you feel kind of bad after because you're like was it just garbage and you didn't want to talk about it did you was it like okay was i kind of close like am i on the right track and that you're self-guessing yourself a lot and it just it doesn't feel great yeah
1: that's pretty much the same with me Mm -hmm. and uh not so much of AGS, only because I've never applied for it, but for other grants, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes don't get anything back. So like, okay, I didn't get it, but right. was I way off or, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Right. I think about my friends, um, you know, the majority of us apply for CIHR. Yeah. Right. And the likelihood of getting CIHR it's is not often... not high. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very high. And no. it's unfortunate. And... When I think about my friends and how much work they put into these applications, yeah. like or how much how much work we put in getting those reference letters, editing, editing, like those yeah. applications take months They and do months they and do. months. And then you get it back and it's just like, no. Yeah. And that's it. And like when the day it comes out, everyone's checking to see whether or not they
2: got it. And it's just like it's devastating because no. you don't see the process that happens behind there, too. It's so depersonalized, right? You send an email and then you get an email back saying. No, thanks. Like, we're good with your with your application. And, you know, on your side, you see the amount of effort that you put in. Do you think, did they put the same amount of effort reading your scholarship or your grant idea? And so I feel like that comes back the whole perception sort of thing. You perceive yourself as doing something, and the output that you get isn't the same as your perception. and It sort of, it, it fuddles everything up. Yeah, like, it's yeah. kind of
0: hard to sit there and be like, okay, you know what? Just because they said no mm-hmm. does not mean that my program of research is not good, that mm-hmm. people think I'm not qualified to do this research, right. but I think that's what happens, right? It's because you're taking all these things personally, you feel that these rejections are a reflection of you. Right. In one way or another. So you can't help but feel crappy about yourself because if you're constantly getting rejections, whether it's from scholarships or mm-hmm. journals or anything else, <laughs> like how are you supposed to feel good? Like yeah. how many of us have gotten a paper rejected and like <laughs> Feel like crap, immediately. Especially getting a desk reject. I've gotten like a million desk What's a desk, re- What's a desk reject? A desk reject is when the editor like looks it over really quick before they send it out, and they're like, I'm not even gonna bother sending it to reviewers. Huh.
1: Oh, that, it must. Okay, hurt. that's not nice.
2: I've gotten yeah. a bajillion of those. Oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's uh, it's uh, not great
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for the ego. Oh, definitely not, no, no, no. Yeah. So yeah, I guess, what are other ways to combat it because this is not good so we said positive feedback right yes and yeah I guess another one here I kind of like this one it says staying engaged with your cohort and supervisors so with that I can feel like you can really isolate yourself if you're feeling the sort of way you don't want to talk to anybody else because everyone else is talking about their achievements and you don't want to deal with that at all right Mm -hmm. So I feel like this comes down to getting rid of toxic people mm-hmm. that are going to talk about their CVs <laughs> and their life and keep the people that you know are going to support you and your journey throughout grad school. Right. And I feel like everyone else in your cohort, depending on the, the department that you're in and that sort of thing, will sort of share similar experiences with you and you know, sort of help you through that so you don't feel as isolated as you would by yourself, right?
0: I think that's the thing, though, is being able to find these people that are toxic and commiserate Mm -hmm. takes someone admitting that they're feeling this way in one way or another. So if none of that is ever happening within
2: a cohort, how is it, like, (laughs) like, That's what I said it depends on the cohort. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Because there are some people who, you know, their cohorts are, 15 to 20 people and you can sort of weed out the ones that aren't going to make you feel so great and keep the ones that, you know, are relatively decent at making you feel good. Right. So if you're in a group with like 200 people or 100 people, it's hard to do that because you feel like the pressure to be competitive is even higher. Right. So you're going to get a lot of CVs being thrown at you to your face during conversations and it's going to be a lot harder. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think I think that's a delicate balance. Yeah. I think it's. Yes who what program you're in, who you're affiliated with, how close you are with these people. Mm-hmm. And kind of going from there, I think bottom line is hopefully we all have a supportive group of friends. Like right. I know I do that I can yeah. go to and commiserate with. For sure. But at like
2: simultaneously, like
0: those people are the ones that drive a lot of imposter syndrome in one
1: way or
2: another. Yeah, mm. yeah. It, it depends. There is a fine line. I totally agree with that. Yeah,
1: but definitely like the main, I think the main point mm-hmm. of it is to, um. If you have a really good open supervisor who's yeah. really good at understanding and is probably gone, going gone or even going through the same things you are, right, they will be able to, one, share some experiences and probably mm-hmm. give you some advice. And if you unfortunately don't have a supervisor who's like yeah. that, talk to friends and colleagues, even family, Yeah, I'd imagine. Because I I'm, imagine your parents or anyone, like maybe an <laughs> older, younger brother and sister who maybe are going through the same thing, if not through academia, but maybe right. just in their professional career.
2: For sure. Yeah. I don't know, do you guys talk to your family about PhD stuff? I talk, I talk to my sister. So she's done a master's here at Western before too. And, you know, she's probably gone through something similarly to what I've done. We both did basic science, um, uh, graduate school work. So she, she gets it. So I talked to her, my family, not so much because they're not in academia. They haven't done anything past, you know, like in, going into the grad school era. So they, they don't really get it, I mm-hmm. guess so for sure my sister and my friends right know. what about you gavin
1: uh no when it comes to deal i mean i'll mention them if i'm completely stressed or swamped and then yeah. i always get the same advice from my mom saying like you just need to know when to say no and to take breaks i'm <laughs> like okay but <laughs> yeah most it's very time, valuable advice it really is trust yeah. me I <laughs> yeah.
2: can summarize this entire thing just with take breaks and know when to say no i totally agree with that that's good advice (laughs) that's good wisdom but most (laughs) of the
1: time i just they ask me like oh what are you up to now and i just pretty much tell them what projects i'm working on not too much in distress because half the time i don't really want them to worry when it gets bad same yeah Uh, exactly
0: see i literally just word vomit like (laughs) all the time like if it's on my mind and i'm feeling it like i will call home and just like (laughs) let it go go (laughs) (laughs) on the phone even if no one understands or like i'll call Mm -hmm. some of my friends or i'll text some of my friends and just be like Ugh, like this happened today or whatever right. it is like I'm feeling really crappy about this and I just like I don't know I feel like if I held it in
2: I would explode for sure for sure personally explode implode one of the two one yeah. I would go I would go crazy like yeah, for sure
0: yeah, I think the importance of having, like, fingers crossed for everyone, like, yeah. honestly, I truly wish everyone has a good support network or, like, right. finding someone. Like, maybe it's weird, but I know for me, what makes me feel better is, like, complimenting other people or, like, mm-hmm. validating other people's feelings. Yeah. So, like, if someone's coming in, they're like, well, I feel crappy about X, Y, Z today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, that's okay. Like, yeah. you're allowed to feel crappy about that thing. yeah.
2: yeah. You're sort of like sharing their experience because it's like, I've also felt crappy about this once, too. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. You just need to find someone that you can talk to. Yeah. And like you said, as long as you have a good support group. And I know SOGS has some good mental health and wellness programs here that they can offer for people who are feeling, you know, a little stressed or a little bit anxious about their grad school work. So that's all on their website, I think. So they can go awesome. in and see that sort of that sort of stuff so they can if they want a third party objective to talk to. So right. I think that's it's a good um, good resource to have. Right.
1: right. And the same goes for anyone who's listening and is not from Western. I mean, your university mm-hmm. or institutions does have probably a mental we- health awareness support group that even if they haven't told you, I really <laughs> hope they did, but <laughs> it's sometimes very good just to approach them and just explain when things get a bit tough and you're trying to find ways to get through it. That's all.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I don't know. I think (laughs) I don't know. I just think in general, like we're all experiencing this in one way or another, whether we're witnessing other people doing it, Mm -hmm. whether it's just like internalized in one way or another. We're not talking to people about it. I just think, you know, it's sad that like you have a group of very high achieving and accomplished people all working together. And yet we all feel like trash. Yes. All the time. objectively yeah. we should not be feeling this way if no, you no really no. sit down and look through like what we have accomplished like we shouldn't it's just like it's unfortunate that and, this is and the case. part
2: of it's the environment too right because you're putting all of these high achievers together you it's sort of like an alpha male sort of situation who is the highest high achiever and once you get to that point it doesn't really make sense because at the end of the day you're still part of this like population that still knows more about that certain topic than layman terms right and I feel like it's more so about getting exposure to something outside of academia so you can see what else is going on outside and sort of, you know, reference what you're feeling to something outside of academia. And I feel like that could really help.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think there also needs to be an understanding that like as long as you know that you're doing the best that you can do and Mm -hmm. you're... (laughs) I don't know, it gets hard because at the same time when I'm, like, not doing any work, I'm, like, I'm not being my best right now. Right. Or, like, when I'm lying on my couch for four hours watching Parks and Rec instead of, like, <laughs> writing, I'm not being my best. But, yeah. like, maybe sometimes I need that in yeah. order to be your best. Be my best in yeah. one way or another. I don't know. I just think in one way or another, like, and I, I don't know. I think it's hard to not mm-hmm. compare yourself. But if there's right. a way to sit there and make this about yourself, like, be a little bit selfish about it. Just be for like, sure. you know what? Like, if I'm accomplishing this, then... That's what it, I don't know. It's all hard. I don't know what I just said. That was a good So
2: <laughs> I think we can summarize that with take a break. Yes. <laughs> take a break. Take some me time. And I feel like that's all you can do at this point. Don't let it get worse because at that point, then I feel like there really is no turning back. You've gone too far into the imposter syndrome hole and it just it's a scary slope that I hope no one goes down. Right. It doesn't feel very good. No, not at all. I don't want to end on that. No, no yeah. I think That's I think really what we want to kind of conclude on is like,
0: yeah. hey, guess what? We all feel like trash about ourselves, like yeah. pretty often. I've been feeling like trash about myself for at least <laughs> the last two weeks. And I've told literally everyone I know about it. Yeah. And it's because I'm in a writing slump right now. And I don't know how to get out of it, even though I've <laughs> taken a bunch of breaks. So I'm feeling especially crappy, but kind of take home message is that we're all feeling crappy You know it's it's not the best thing Mm -hmm. in the world like it sucks that we're all feeling crappy but we are all feeling this way so if you are feeling this way I think just know that you're not alone in those feelings you're not isolated in those feelings we're all feeling it in one way or another and kind of the point of this is just we want to be able to make it relatable and we want people to know that hey these are things that we all experience and this is how we experience it and these are our experiences and we'd love to hear other people's experiences
2: too. Talk about it because that's like I said before I was trying to google scholar this and nothing came up I couldn't find stats on how many master's students or graduate students feel imposter syndrome during their school and I feel like that's a ridiculous thing because you know there's so many people who feel it and there there was absolutely nothing like the only thing that I could find really was stuff about anxiety and that was essentially it. There's nothing specifically related to imposter syndrome because it is a little bit different. I would say, so take-home message: let's talk about it. Let's get this sort of idea out there because you know it, like the the stats that I have here. For example, um, there was one paper that I found that said 26.2% of master's students feel some sort of anxiety related to imposter syndrome. And for PhD students, that number, again, is around the same, so 26.7. And the funny thing is, which I think you guys might find interesting, is the most prevalent department that these uh, these students are in feeling this way is arts and humanities. Oh, you guys had shocked faces. <laughs> what do you think about that? I guess I would be wondering why. Is
0: it because they're comparing within and, mm-hmm. like, it kind of sucks that I don't have, or any of us have that perspective right. in the arts, arts and humanities. But mm-hmm. is it because there's, like, a within-group comparison that you're comparing against your peers? Or is it because arts and humanities are constantly being put down as, like, could kind be. of the non-valuable programs to be in? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because there is a societal emphasis on the for sciences sure, and engineering sure. in one way. Or the health sciences Definitely. as well.
2: Yeah.
0: So... What what I found more shocking what what was it twenty six point seven percent of people reporting well, over a quarter like,
2: yeah over a quarter that's it yeah like how is it not a hundred yeah I don't know I feel like this is a <laughs> level of anxiety right so. I don't know. They weren't testing exactly for imposter syndrome, and I I, I couldn't find. If anyone finds, please let me know because I would like to know that number. The Twitter polls that we had were all 100%. (laughs) The Instagram polls that we had were all 100%, so I don't know if our data is a little bit skewed, but yeah. Whoops. I mean,
1: it could be, I mean, if you, I'd have to probably read the paper as well because I'm actually quite curious now, but.
2: I'll probably, we'll put a link up to it after to see, yeah.
1: That sounds good. Yeah. But I think it might just come down to the core, beginnings of imposter syndrome that you mm-hmm. since you feel like a fraud it, you probably admit in yeah. these studies that oh yeah i feel i feel like a fraud sometimes mm-hmm. you feel, you're afraid that they're gonna catch you exactly they're afraid they're gonna go like oh you ha you've admitted it <laughs>
2: yeah like found you yeah guilty <laughs> guilty, guilty Get as out. charged yeah. your grant money
1: it's gone <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> wipe you off of this like attendance list yeah I actually you yeah. need to leave yeah <laughs> oh yeah
1: so I, it could I, be fear i think it's it only I thought it could be fear, but...
2: Another thing that I thought of, too, is maybe people don't think it's serious enough. Maybe they're like, oh, it's it's fine. You know, I feel this way, but I'm in this program. I don't think I have any other mental illness because, in general, this study was looking at, I guess, mental wellness and that sort of thing. But, you know, they're like, oh, I don't have anxiety. I don't have depression. I feel kind of down sometimes, but it can't be because I have anxiety or depression because I'm not diagnosed. Right. So I feel like you're not catching a lot of people in these studies because... They're not diagnosed, they don't talk about it often enough. They often think it's normal. So
0: Yeah, like they yeah. normalize the imposter syndrome in mm-hmm. a way where they don't believe that feelings of anxiety or depression. Yeah, like yeah. it's a part of the imposter syndrome. It's exactly. not
2: Exactly, exactly. So I feel like there's definitely some flaws. So anyone who wants to do research on that, it's a field that I guess you guys can all get into. But yeah, I I don't know. So there's clearly not enough being done. So talking about it is definitely a way to go
1: i think it goes back to when you when we brought up the subtypes yeah, that if you yeah. think okay. about them carefully not all of them do link to anxiety or depression yeah some of them do link to as uh monica mm-hmm. you were saying about cockiness mm-hmm. that yeah. does come from it uh some of it just means i constantly prove yourself which doesn't always lead to anxiety it could just be a very selfish reason yeah to prove yourself right so mm-hmm. I mean, spite Exactly. <laughs> Was one exactly. example. Working
2: mm-hmm. hard just to
0: spite someone else. I yeah. mean, I've definitely been motivated by anger. For in sure. In terms of oh, writing. Yeah. Like, sure. I, it's the best motivator. Okay, I'm not going to lie. To an extent. And maybe this is weird. You guys can tell me if this is weird yeah. or not. But every time I've gone through a breakup, I've written a manuscript, and I name those manuscripts after my exes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, does this include a footnote about how you wish they were gone no like I get like,
0: published no like it's like they're published but like they're not their names With aren't the, oh. no their names aren't in it it's like mentally like if you make me go and look at my publications i can tell you oh, exactly it's under which this one. Name
2: josh or whatever like yeah mentally like it. i
0: know like oh this is so-and-so's paper this is huh that might not be a very good coping strategy please no one i mean like, like if, if you're productive why would we when say my it's hate not a good fire coping strategy is a flaring i write my paper
2: <laughs> maybe that's weird might not be a great coping strategy oh my yeah <laughs> so yeah I, I guess we're learning new things if that's Surprise. something that someone else wants to try i mean by all means like it sounds like it works so it's not bad <laughs> but Fair um Fair
0: yeah i think once again going back to the original part of it is like figuring out a way
2: to I don't want to say handle those feelings but kind of like a catharsis almost like trying to get rid of that channel that through something else and that's funny because another coping mechanism that i saw here was memes so <gasps> i love memes yeah right research memes maybe oh, i love <laughs> them oh they're, yeah. the, they're
1: the best yeah. i post them
2: on my instagram all the time there you go yeah so i guess that's a good you know vessel to get your anger out post some memes because i think <laughs> the point of the
0: memes was like i think originally it was supposed to be a little bit ironic right in nature um, and so now that we're all posting memes, it's kind of like, haha, look at me. Like, I'm absolutely
2: miserable. Yeah. Here's a
0: meme about it. And then everyone else that's in the same position is like, oh my God, this meme is hilarious yeah, because is I me. relate to it on a very DM'd deep to level. to everybody
2: because, you know, everyone needs to see how I'm feeling right now. Yep. And someone else has described it perfectly with a picture of a dog or a cat. Yep. <laughs> yeah, And normally they're very funny. So I guess, man, we've been talking for a long time. I feel like we've got to wrap it up. We can talk about this forever. Yeah. So... Give us any feedback
0: that you may have on this segment. Let us know if you liked this podcast because this was very conversational in nature. Like we had some bits that we were talking about. But let us know if you liked the Imposter Syndrome podcast. Let us know if you want us to continue with the Grad Life segment and give us some suggestions of what we want to or what you would like us to speak about moving forward if you have any topic ideas. And we'll definitely put um, prompts out on social media, I guess. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that we need to say to conclude this segment right now?
2: Not much. I'd just like to say thank you for this great conversation, because honestly, it's so good to just get everything out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah I definitely feel a lot better. Do so, you? I do. <laughs> I know. I really do. Oh my Especially God. past two months have been brutal. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's very good to almost vent <laughs> yeah, almost about it. Vent, vent it out. Yeah.
2: Okay, I like that. Yeah. Like that. We should do these more often then.
0: I think so. <laughs> Even if it's, yeah, we should do it. I think it would be great. But anyone listening, um, please give us some feedback. We'd love to yeah. hear whether or not you liked this segment. Give us some feedback on future episodes that we'd like to do. But I guess to kind of top it off, um, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for providing this feedback. I'm Monica Molinaro.
1: I'm Gavin Telemedi.
2: I'm Vicki Tellios And you're listening to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students. You can catch us on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere that you can find your podcasts. Um, if you would like to contact us about any, if you want to be on the show or any ideas at all, um, our email is gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can also catch our, webs- our, our podcasts on our website at gradcast.ca and follow us on all of our social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook on Gradcast Radio. Thank you, and have a great rest of your listening. Bye.
1: The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.